You are listening to Popaganda, the feminism and pop culture podcast. Today, we're talking about ideas of what it means to be an expert. Violet Blue is a journalist who sniffs out interesting stories about technology, controversy, and identity. Her work has been especially important in recent years as it becomes clear how often women are harassed online and at risk of having their data exploited. Studies show that online privacy is in a large part a gendered issue. A whopping 26% of young women who use the internet have been stalked online. That's compared with just 7% of men. Women are also more likely to be physically threatened online. 23% of women ages 18 to 24 have been threatened online with physical violence, compared to 8% of men. For her new book, The Smart Girl's Guide to Privacy, Violet Blue works with attorneys, psychologists, and tech employees to put together a practical guide to online privacy that doesn't require a huge amount of background knowledge. Social media companies don't really want you to be an expert on how to protect your data. I mean, of course, they're not wishing stalking or harassment on anyone, but they want you to share as much as possible. That's good for business. So the book is an empowering one. It's a straightforward how-to guide for protecting your privacy and undermining the various social media settings that want you to share potentially intimate details with the world. Even as somebody who grew up on the internet, there was plenty of basic info in the Smart Girls Guide that I didn't know. I followed some of Blue's steps in the book and was surprised to find that my home address could be found in about 30 seconds of internet searching. Luckily, it was a home I had moved out of a few years ago. With that in mind, I found the book alarmingly handy. I talked with Violet Blue about changing the idea of digital privacy and how diversifying the tech industry is crucial for creating a safer internet for all. So you start out your book um, by describing internet privacy as a self-defense move, like, uh, like a self-defense class that everyone should take in order to protect themselves. Can you tell me more about framing online privacy in terms of self-defense? It's the same sort of protection that you take as you would when you go outside or when you do anything going about your sort of ordinary life. And I don't think that, you know, people just don't think about going on the Internet the same way. Um, And I think that it's a consciousness shift in that direction will definitely be towards everyone's safety. So, you know, it's you need to be thinking about, you know, um, would you trust, you know, would you trust the man on the street? You know, would you trust, you know, the person who's got a clipboard and is asking you for your, you know, your phone number and your address to sign you up for some interesting offers? You know, you wouldn't say yes to anything like that because it's a privacy risk and who is this person? But on the internet, we've sort of been lulled into this false sense of security, a lot having to do with social networking sites that giving up, our privacy and our, our identities and our information is sort of a necessary exchange in order to use these services or enjoy these services. And it's, it's, it's a sort of a false question, you know, um, because a lot of people just aren't aware of what they're getting into. But it's time that we think about it in, in the same terms. You know, would you trust a strange company with your information? Would you trust a strange man on the street, you know, with a photograph of you? And once you start to think about it in those terms, you start to realize, oh, okay, you know, I need to shift the way that I'm approaching all of this stuff and, um, and just sort of tighten, tighten up security, tighten up your practices around what you do with your information. These days, there is such a low expectation of privacy online. 
We assume that uh, Google and Facebook and basically every other company is gathering our data and mining it. So I think it's interesting that in this book, um, how you reframe internet privacy from something that's an impossible ideal to something that is possible and that we should defend. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting um, that you mentioned that because at the beginning of this month, a new report came out um, that really sort of shattered the myths around around the, the alleged trade-offs and the way that marketers are misrepresenting American consumers and opening them, them up to exploitation um, to themselves and to other companies. And the study is called the trade-off fallacy. And what's really interesting about it is that it just completely blows open the idea that that um, that people need to trade privacy for security or that people, you know, are okay with trading privacy for services. And what they found was that the a majority of Americans have been giving up their data simply because of, well, of two reasons. One, that they're not aware that they can do anything else. They simply believe they don't have a choice. And the other reason that they're been getting, they've been giving up their data is because they're resigned to it. In, in other words, they don't think that they can do anything else that it's already out there, they feel helpless about it. And this has been something that marketers and, you know, through, through their extensions in social media networks have been sort of putting forth this, this philosophy that this is something that people willingly do or it's something that people might want to do in order to get better recommendations or in order to get, you know, served, quote unquote, better ads and things like that. And so finally, something like the study is putting down some really firm ground that no, people don't want to be doing this. And now that they're becoming aware of what's happening, they're, they're getting pretty upset about it. You know, this is not something that they would have consented to had they known. So it's, um, it, it draws a really interesting line in the sand in this entire discussion. That's a really good point. And I think that part of it is how it often feels safer online than it actually is. Like, unless you're being targeted by people who specifically want to hurt you, whether they're like stalkers or trolls or political groups, you know, putting yourself out there online um, can feel pretty safe. Websites basically present a veneer of we're protecting you. Don't worry about it. Don't even look at those privacy settings. So how do you talk to people who care about their privacy but feel resigned to having their data taken by companies? Well, it's, um, it's interesting. Um, I just, one of the pieces of the, of what you're talking about there is that, um, one of the things that this study found that I just was talking about is that over 60% of the people that they, that they surveyed and that they used in the study actually thought that a company's like, or Facebook or any, any, you know, privacy policy that actually by the words privacy policy, that that actually meant that the company was protecting their privacy as a policy not that that policy actually was detailing the ways in which they're giving up their privacy. Um, so it's, it's like there's a, a, lot of, a lot of sort of willful misdirection, I think, going on here um, with companies that are sort of playing it to their advantages to keep people a little bit in the dark. And, you know, at, once people start learning about kind of what's going on here, and, and hopefully they're not learning about it because they're finding out the hard way, which unfortunately increasingly people are, um, it's, it can be pretty sobering, you know, I've been talking to women who've read my book and they're like, oh my God, like this is, I had no idea. This is kind of scary. But what's been helpful about the book is that it's giving them concrete tools to be able to go, oh, I didn't know this was a risk. Here's exactly how we can address it. So it's, you know, in the same way that 
you wouldn't ride in a car without a seatbelt. It's, it's sort of the same philosophy with, okay, here are some things that you just sort of need to do, you know, put on the, put on the seatbelt, put the helmet on before you get on the motorcycle. You know, these are, are the sort of things that we need to be doing before we get on the internet or before we upload a photo for our profile and things like that. So it's, you know, as, as scary as it is to find out what's possible and what's happening, it feels even better, I think, to be able to be getting control over it at the same time, which is exactly what the book does. There's nothing in the book that tells you about something scary that you can't do something about. It's funny because this is an issue that I wish I didn't have to do anything about. I wish that companies would protect my privacy if I used their services. But instead, it falls on me as a consumer, basically, to be wary of companies and protect myself in many ways. There's a quote I like uh, that I talked about on a previous podcast from a technologist named Julia Angwin, who said, if you're getting something for free, you're paying for it in some way. I, I agree partially. I mean, I think that, yes, absolutely. If, if, if something is free, if you're getting to use something for free, you are paying for it in some way. And just that realization is a huge consciousness shift for a lot of people. Um, you know, because companies don't get where they are by being nice. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's sort of an all or nothing when it comes to having to know every single thing about what's going on with your privacy. Um, part of the reason that I wanted this book to happen was that everything that I've been able to find on privacy that is helpful for consumers is extremely technical and requires a lot of acumen, like knowing tech jargon and, you know, knowing, you know, hacker terminology and things like that. And the goal with the book and the people that I worked with on the book was to make it as simple and as easy as possible and to continue to simplify these processes into like easy steps so that people don't have to become experts. You point out in your book that people who design technology are overwhelmingly male and don't often take into account that these issues will come up for half the people that use the technology. Can you speak to how that and gender has shaped the lack of privacy in our online technology? Absolutely. I think the biggest thing that's missing from today's privacy conversations is the role of gender in privacy and privacy expectations. And the simple fact of the matter is that straight men perceive privacy completely different than everyone who's not them. <laughs> and they have overwhelmingly been the people who have developed, shaped, and implemented the technologies that we use. And that's not any sort of malice on their part, but it's a matter of a lack of understanding that the fact that over half the people that use their services, women, LGBTQ people, are going to be targeted. And that this entirely huge percentage of the people that are going to be using their services, are um, they bear target status. And a lot of younger people don't realize that they bear target status until they get targeted and attacked. But, you know, understanding target status versus non-target status really completely changes the way anybody uses a system. So one point here is that if there was better gender diversity in the tech industry, we might see a shift in the way that these products and services are designed to take into account gender-based harassment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're seeing systems trying to grapple with that now. I mean, look at the struggle that Twitter's having, you know, as an established company that has all of its rules and everything in place. And then, you know, they're, they're getting hit with these huge incidences of targeting and stalking and harassment on a really large scale. And so they're having to take the system that was implemented one way and try to figure out how to 
how to shape it to be able to protect the people that use the system. And they're having an enormous struggle with it because these systems just aren't built with that in mind, you know. Um, and the fact that their their structures and their rules and everything are going to be gamed and used against them. Um, if they had been built with that in mind, I think that we'd be seeing a different a different situation altogether. You know, we would be seeing a, a much more um, established and a much more understanding and an abuse department with a lot of acumen around the ways that systems are used against people and the way that they can be exploited in order to harass, you know, the the problems that they were having with sock puppeting and making a fake accounts that would have already been something they had taken into consideration because that's a very typical tactic, you know, that's used in these systems. So I have to ask, do you miss, do you miss the early days of the internet when it was more possible to be anonymous you know, I I never really thought that it was possible to be anonymous online, but I think that that's because I, I understood how these things worked a little bit more than other people. I mean, also not a lot of people think about the world in terms of the fact that, you know, when you go to the DMV and they get all your information and they take your thumbprint and they take your photograph, there are people working at the DMV that are creeps, I'm sure, you know, because everywhere there's going to be somebody. And it's just going to, it's like that at every system, every institution, every business. So I've, I've never thought that, you know, I'm going to be safe to give all my information to Facebook. I've never, you know, or that even as, as strong and robust as the security of, a, of a, an online banking system is going to be, there's always going to be a person behind there somewhere, you know. And so, you, you know, I just have always proceeded through the Internet uh, in the same way as, as with life just very carefully and very cautiously. The only thing I miss about the older days of the internet is the creativity and the feeling of freedom that we had. And that I think has a lot to do with the fact that we do feel less safe online. Um, There's, you know, people are, are getting less and less comfortable with free expression online because they're worried about the ways that companies are watching them. They're worried about, you know, what's being recorded and what might be saved later. And, you know, there are just lots of less places where, you know, creating art and being able to create silly, goofy videos and put them up and not worry about it later. There are less and less places like that, which in, in its own way speaks to the popularity of things like Snapchat and WhatsApp and things like that, because it's a, it's a, disappearing, um, it's a disappearing place. So clearly people should go and buy your book to get all the information to protect their security. But if someone is listening to this right now, what would you recommend they do to protect their privacy within the next 15 minutes? In the next 15 minutes, well, definitely um, using quotes, Google your name and be sure to check the images tab. Google your phone number, Google your home address, Google your social security number. Do um, go uh, get um, a piece of tape or post it or go to something like privacystickers.org and get some stickers to put over your webcams because software to hack webcams is really cheap and really easy to find on the black market. And when that's used, they can, uh, people can record you or take pictures of you without the little light going on. So just cover that up so no one can do anything like that. Um, activate the password lock on your phone, your laptop, and your tablet, because if any of that got stolen or ended up in someone else's hands, and it wasn't locked, they might be able to get into your accounts, like if you kept yourself logged into Facebook or something like that. Um, also, log out of Google, log out of Facebook, log out of LinkedIn, log out of Twitter, and view your profiles as an outsider. 
or view them as someone else and take some notes and then go back and adjust your privacy settings accordingly.